us to begin in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. And I'm, uh, I'm preaching on the subject tonight of uh, worship. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we have, a, in our culture today, we might not truly understand uh, what that means. And by no means tonight, this is not an exhaustive uh, study of that. And God's people said amen. <laughs> uh, but um, but I do uh, believe that, that God's word does tell us what, what true, uh, what authentic worship looks like. And I think from that we can determine uh, what it uh, is not. Um, and so we go back to uh, perhaps one of the very first instances in the Bible where we are really seeing uh, that Old Testament aspect of worship unfold. Now, I don't believe this is that it wasn't until this point that they began to worship uh, because I think what God did with respect to Adam and Eve and covering their sin uh, with the tunic, blood sacrifice, I, I believe all of that was critical so that when we get to chapter 4, the children of Adam and Eve know how to worship because they were taught how uh, to worship because Adam and Eve taught officially by God what it is that he required. Uh, so uh, Genesis chapter 4, if you would, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word tonight. And uh, let's begin in verse 1, and we'll read through verse uh, 5. Now Adam knew uh, Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, God, just again, giving us uh, the beautiful words of life. Lord, what a blessing it is to have a Bible. And I pray, God, that as we've met tonight, that, Lord, you would truly just uh, open up our heart to receive your truth. May we hide it there. May we be confronted tonight and evaluate where we are, uh, Lord, not only with our worship, but, God, just who, who we are and, and how we are doing with fulfilling the call of God on our life. And God, we know that we can draw strength from that. You will not disappoint. So speak to us tonight through the Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as I, I said before, I don't believe, you know, that they just decided, you know, it's, it's, it's time that we start worshiping the Lord. I think this is something that uh, had been happening. I believe verse 21 of chapter 3 is a reference to what we find in the Bible that, again, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And that, that is, you're going to find that uh, through the Old Testament, right on through the New Testament, this, this scarlet thread, as we call it, of, of how you, the, the blood, that has got to happen. And of course, ultimately, uh, the Lord is described as the Lamb of God, the, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, and how He would, uh, on a cross, willingly lay down His life being a sacrifice uh, for us. But there's something that we can learn about this uh, 
first instance, if you, instant, if you will, of worship here between uh, Cain and his brother Abel. And we find that uh, both of them brought an offering to the Lord, uh, but God did not receive the offering um, of Cain. Now, uh, I am of the mindset here to start with that when we think about worship in this sense, number one, there is a per- worship, uh, there must be a profound reverence for God. Now, uh, I don't believe uh, that Cain didn't know what to do. I don't believe he didn't know that there, there should have been a lamb brought. I think Cain just, for whatever reason, decided not to do that. That maybe he thought he was such a good tiller of the ground that uh, his produce was on the mark with the best lamb and that the Lord would accept it. We find that the Lord rejected it. And I think, first and foremost, the reason that it was rejected is because it was the wrong thing. I mean, listen, if that's not the case, then we're going to have a problem when we get over here into the New Testament later because if, if all that matters, because some people will say that Cain was not sincere in what he did, well, you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong about that which you are sincere about. You can be passionate about it. And you can be very zealous about it. As a matter of fact, we look around our culture today and we find many people that are very religious, very zealous, but they are zealous and religious about the wrong things. There is only one way to, to God, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is, there, works are not going to get us there. Uh, you know, heritage is not going to get us there. And, uh, you know, to me, when I look at this, I see there was the offering that Abel brought that was what God required in that, that it was uh, a sacrifice, uh, blood was going to be shed, uh, and we see pictures of really the Old Testament way of, of, of offering a blood atoning sacrifice right here in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we, you know, there is no way to, to get uh, blood from, from vegetables. There's just no way to do that. Uh, they don't, you know, which, you know, we... In our culture today, sometimes we really confuse things. But, you know, a, a dead tree is not on par with a, a, a dead animal. It's just not. You know, I've, I've said this before, and it, you know, the Hebrew word gives us this idea for the soul of the nephesh that it's something unique and specific, not just to human beings, but to the animal kingdom in, in time. And for instance, you know, if you've ever been down to the beach uh, and you go kind of to a deserted place, you'll see... Uh, uh, dead wood, driftwood washed up there. It makes a great background for a family portrait at the beach. But you would not see washed up on the beach some shark or whale and decide to have a family photo op with it because it would stink and it would be gruesome and it would be ugly and detestable in the sight of people. Right? It would rot. It would stink. It would... It it's, it's turns us off as, as people. Why? Because there is something unique about uh, the blood that is, that is the life of, of the animal. And we recognize that. That there is something much more profound about some, uh, you know, an animal, a human being, uh, the death of them versus the death of the crepe myrtle outside. Something much, much different about that. Even though I like crepe myrtle, but it's not the same thing no matter how sincere you are about it. 
So there's this profound reference for God. Abel acknowledges here the transcendence of God all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. His idea, we don't know, it doesn't give us great detail, and to some extent he may have had a, a very primitive understanding at that time of the concept of God. But, it, but primitive or not, it did not stop him from acknowledging the greatness of God, the omnipotence of God, and the understanding that God deserves his adoration. Now, without a doubt, I believe, uh, I believe the kids, the children of Adam and Eve understood this. As a matter of fact, these are not their only two kids. The Bible says they had other sons and daughters, uh, a, a great big family. But these two, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't mention everybody because there's not enough room to mention everybody. But the Bible does mention these two sons because there's a distinct difference between what the two do when it comes to worship. One brings the best. The other one also brings his best. But it's not the right offering. Now, he could have gotten the right offering. He could have sold the produce, bartered the, you know, for a lamb. That would have been sufficient. The point of this is that when we understand this profound reverence for God, when we get that, then we understand that we're not here to bring God down to our level. That, that's an issue. We want to we make God acceptable, uh, a softer, gentler uh, God for the, the age. And the reality is God expects us to be transformed by what? By the person of Christ in us through this gift of salvation. And so it's not that we're bringing God down on our level, but God through the spiritual aspect of what takes place brings us up to the level that is required for us to be right and justified before God. And, and, and this is acknowledging that, the transcendence and the greatness of God and that He is worthy of adoration. Not only that, this, this idea of worship is enhanced when we get it, when we understand it. Now, uh, there are places throughout the Word of God, and one of my favorites for this is, is, is in Isaiah uh, chapter 6. Now, when you're reading through the Exodus, there, there is profound worship that takes place because they are seeing the power and the glory and the magnificence of God being displayed. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think about the, the, just the, the cloud by day, the, 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 the pillar of fire, these things, uh, how awe-inspiring must that have been? I mean, to experience the, the God as He would speak on the mountain with Moses and all of the things that were going on at that time, to just understand that we're dealing here with something that we can't wrap our finite minds around. So there's this profound reverence of God. Now, Isaiah tells us something about this. Uh, over here in Isaiah chapter uh, 6. And it's a familiar passage. This is where Isaiah is being commissioned to be uh, a prophet of the Lord. And he says that, you know, in, in verse 1 he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, just the dress, the way God appeared to him, was overwhelming. That, that what man had created and had been instructed to create as a place to worship God, it could not contain God. 
later when I think about that, when the Lord says, I'm not dwelling in temples made with hands. It, to me, it, it, it references back to the reality of this, that the, that the temple that at the time was where they went to worship God, it could not contain the mere train of God. It filled the place. Just the train of the road filled the place with the mighty, majestic nature of who God is. And, it, and then he starts to talk about the seraphim, uh, these creatures that, that worship God. And in verse 3 it says, One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. I mean, Isaiah sees something that is so overwhelming to him, it leads him to the very next logical conclusion. Woe is me, for I am undone. That is a profound reverence for the Lord. Isaiah understood that I, I, can't I, I can't really wrap my mind around this. The beauty and the glory and the majestic nature of God. The way he speaks and when he speaks the very foundation shakes. And Isaiah saw the Lord and who he was and realized who he was and it made him realize, God, woe is me. I, he said, I'm undone. I'm cut off. I, I just... I, 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 God, I'm not even worthy of this. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I mean, when, when we see God for who He is, there, there is none righteous. No, not one. Only made righteous through the Spirit of God given to us through this process of salvation. So there is this profound reverence for God. But we also see when we understand this, that that leads us to something else if we're truly going to worship. It is a confession of sin. It's a confession of sin. It, it is first, though, an acknowledgement of sin. See, Paul wrote over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, He said something about this acknowledgement. Verse 8, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. See, there, there are plenty of people that are, that are sorry over Something they've done, they got caught at it. They, they, they may shed tears over it. But just a mere acknowledgement of sin doesn't necessarily move us to the proper place. We sing almost persuaded, don't we? Almost persuaded. There, there, sometimes there is sorrow there. I mean, I, man, I have experienced this with with people that, you know, they, they get in a situation, it's a bad situation, maybe they got arrested, and you go down there and you visit with them, and I'm going to tell you, it's, if, if you want to, it's easy to get a confession in a, in a jail. Because at that point, they're willing to do anything. I mean, just, you know, maybe this helps. Now, I'm not saying that it's not all real, because there are some le legitimate conversions that take place, absolutely. 
My point is this, that you can be sorrowful. But Paul says that this sorrow has got to be godly sorrow in nature. And it has to lead somewhere. For whatever reason, as Abel brought that lamb there, he was acknowledging his sinfulness. Now, now he, this was not just a doctrine to him. This was, this was life. And sometimes as we talk about it, and I know it's, you know, in the back as we explain the doctrine of sin and things like that, you know, through Scripture to children, sometimes, though, they know what sin is, and they can tell you what sin is, but salvation is not going to happen until what I know about sin takes on this form that it is my personal sin that I must own. And I must be broken over that sin. I must realize that I am a sinner. And that must lead not just to an acknowledgement of that, but it leads to confession. I can know what the doctrine of sin is. But if it doesn't lead me to repentance, I've, I've missed the whole point. God, God doesn't, you know, in heaven there's not going to be this test of where he's going to take the Baptist faith and message and see how much of it we know. And if we, know, if we know enough of it, we're going to get in. So I don't believe St. Peter's up there opening the gate either, but, you know, we're flying around on clouds and this kind of stuff. I, you know, we got a lot of ideas about heaven, and very few of them come out of the Bible. But I will say this, we won't be there if this acknowledgement and confession of sin and repentance of sin has not taken place. Because it's not just about knowing the doctrine. It's about what does knowing that, what does it lead to? He acknowledged his sinfulness. He understood from his parents uh, sin was real. I mean, can you imagine uh, being, you know, a daughter, a son, me? I mean, you know, you know your children ask, they ask a lot of questions, you know. They ask you, you know, back in your day, they start saying things like that. Back in your day, as if I'm 150 years old or something. You know, back in your day, did y'all have water? Yes, son, we had, you know, we had water, we had air, you know. I mean, you know, but you, you know how kids are. They, 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 they're just kids, man. And, you know, we tell them how it was. I mean, you know, my, my dad is in his 80s, and, I mean, you know, he grew up, and they, they didn't have running water in the house. They had to go draw water, and, and uh, they plowed with mules and, and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, you know, he's living in a day and today where, you know, tractors can basically drive themselves. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of things that have transpired in his lifetime. But, you know, dad's always, uh, he likes to talk about, when we go hunting, he tells us all the time, when we go hunting and we pass that farmland over there, God, don't you look at all these tractors out here. I used to farm everybody out with one row of plow. I remember it. Still today. And I tell you, I could farm all that with just a mule and a turning plow. Me and, me and, me and Dad, we farm all this. I got all these tractors. I got nine tractors laying around here. This year, we go by it, it's on sale. It's on sale. Tell, you know, tell Angus about that. Angus, he'd go up there and stay with him. He'd come home and he'd say, I was talking to Papa, and you know, he'd start talking about what Papa said. Can you imagine being, uh, you know, the son, the daughter of Adam and Eve, and just however long it was, 
What was it like when God returned to speak to you in the cool of the day? What, what was it like? How was it the day you, you had to leave? And see, I, I, think, I think Abel understood that sin was a, a problem and that if he wanted to be real honest, it had caused his family much but Abel brought the right sacrifice and he understood that there was a need for confession because sin was part of life. You walk outside, thorns are growing. you got to work hard. These are all the curse. This is what sin done and, and Abel was living in that world. And when he brought the first thing, he brought the very best lamb because not all of them were all good because sin had corrupted that but he brought the best that he had Isaiah when he saw God he, he understood that God is worthy of my very best Matthew chapter 5 Jesus said hey look before you bring your offering to the altar if there's problems between you and another brother you, you leave your, your offering and you go reconcile things and then you come back. God's teaching us that He wants us to have relationships right this way and that way. That He wants us to be honest and sincere. And when we acknowledge that there is something wrong, we seek to do something about it. It's the idea of the acknowledgement of sin and the confession of sin. And that is part of the aspect of worship. Then that leads us to a personal commitment to God. In the Bible, there's a couple of words that are used for the word worship. Two different words, actually. One of them means to bow down, to kneel out of respect and submission. It, it's the idea of, de, of declaring the position of God and, 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 if you will, that He is the King of kings and, and the Lord of lords. And you would kneel before Him. You would submit yourself before Him as He is the King of glory. Just like, you know... You know, our history dates back to a time when the, you know, the monarchy of England was not just kind of a, a, a thing as it is today. That's, uh, it's a position, but it's not, in no way does it yield the power that it used to you know, uh, 300 years ago. In no way. But there was a time that it did. And you just didn't go walking into the king's court. You, know? you, you had to come a certain way. And there was a certain position. Uh, if you if you wanted favor, there was a certain position, there was a certain respect due to the, the, the position of that. And we get that idea from this word that it was to bow, that it was to kneel out of submission and respect for who God is. But then there's another word that's used too for worship. And it is doing something for God, making a sacrifice or carrying out some instruction. And if you combine those two together, you get the idea that when we talk about worshiping God, we're declaring that He is worthy. And at the same time, that moves us to do something. In this case, as, as Abel would acknowledge who God is, he, it moved him to bring an offering, a sacrifice, so that the blood could be shed and forgiveness could be offered. Again, Hebrews tells us that without that, there is no forgiveness, remission. Blood has to be shed. So he brings that offering to do 
just that. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11 there, we're told this, that it was by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. So God makes it a point to bring us back to that place where there were two offerings there. One was received and one was rejected. And Hebrews says it is a more excellent sacrifice. Now Jude tells us something else about Cain. Jude tells us, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What, what is that way of Cain? Woe unto them who, who are of the way of Cain. Ultimately, it is that arrogance of, God, I know what you said. We got, we got something way better. Lord, you'll be fine with, with a little bit of compromise. It's not much. He mentions different people in that passage of Scripture, and none of them are good. It's a reminder as we understand who God is, we worship God, it brings us to this understanding of that and something happens there's a personal commitment to God and it involves action and it involves personal commitment Romans chapter 12 verse 1 again very familiar passage of scripture Paul says I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you would do what you would present your body a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about a sacrifice. He's essentially talking about an offering. He's talking about worship. He's talking about uh, where uh, we're acknowledging that there is this understanding of who God is, our sinfulness before God, and what are we committing to? Paul's saying we're committing our whole person Mind, body, soul, strength, all of it, God. We're committing all of it. We're laying it all on this altar as a sacrifice unto you to acknowledge, Lord, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We belong unto you, Lord, and we are your vessels. And we're we are yielding ourselves into the hands of the Master to use us for his glory. That's what he means. And he says this is a reasonable place for us to come to when we understand who God is. And, and by the time Paul mentions this, he spent 11 chapters to tell us about doctrine, of why, what we should believe. So that when we get to this place, we understand what is expected. God desires ourselves, ourselves. Their gifts, their talents, all of us have blessings from God equipped by the Lord but God loves you not your talents 
God loved you personally. He died for you, the person. Not for what the person could do, but for you, the person. I read something the other day, and I know, you know God is omniscient, but this spoke to me. When the Lord went down to the Jordan, and he was baptized, John baptized. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended upon the Lord, and God said, what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And, and at that moment, Jesus, as I understand, at that moment, Jesus, there wasn't this record of healing and all of these acts of works and all of this. But yet, this is my, I, I, I am pleased, I am satisfied with him, not for what he will do, but for who he is. He's my son. And I think about how God loves us and he's made us our own and, and we've been washed in, the, in that soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. We're part of the family of God and we are pleasing unto the Lord not because of what we could ever do, but because of who we belong to. Worship. Acknowledgement of who He is. Laying ourselves on that altar. Saying, God, use me. Now, I'll just close with this. In John chapter 4, there's that picture there of, of the Samaritan woman to the well. And, uh, you know, she is having a conversation with the Lord. And... The Lord begins to uh, make known to her that he's not just your average person. But she says this in uh, verse 19. She said, uh, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And in verse 20 she said, You know, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And uh, you Jews, you say in Jerusalem is the place that we ought to worship. Again, there was a little bit of a rift between the Samaritans and the Jews. Just, you know, lovingly referred to them as dogs. But anyway. And this is what Jesus said. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You, will wor you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, of course, we understand that uh, she says, I know Messiah is coming, and the Lord says, yeah, He's right here. And she leaves, and she goes, and she tells, every, you know, she leaves the water pot behind, you know, uh, she goes and she tells everybody who she's met, and they come out, and they believe. And I say that to say this. Worship is not just merely some experience. It's, it's not something that I can just create with the right talented people and this kind of stuff. But, but true, authentic worship, when we worship the Lord in spirit and truth, there is an overflowing aspect of the goodness of God in that things happen. 
things happen. And, and in this case, on this subject of worship, it, it is out of that conversation that many people came to know who the Lord is. And I would, I would just submit to you tonight as, as we close that from time to time we need to just evaluate. It's so easy to get in the rut of life and, and you know, to, to get in the habit of doing things. And going to church and that you know those things are all good, but but we want to come and we want to meet with God, we want to worship the Lord authentically, truthfully, and and let these other things go away and just focus on who the Lord is and declare that He's worthy. And then as a result of that, uh, not only do we acknowledge who He is, but we come to Him saying, God, here I am. I offer myself to you in humble worship and adoration for who you are. God, use me. God, send me. And when we understand that, I think great things happen. Powerful things happen. So let us evaluate honestly tonight our worship. Let's see the Lord for who He is. And let's offer unto him what is due him. My mind, my soul, my body, my strength, my being, my person. Lay it all on that altar of sacrifice for the Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heart and pray with me tonight?